0: Why are chemists excellent for solving problems? They have all the solutions. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. What, next question, what do you do with a sick chemist? Answer, if you can't helium and you can't curium, then you might as well bury them. Yes, good, good, okay, okay. Okay, so when it comes to talking about prayer, as we are today, you might not be in your element when it comes to either prayer or chemistry. And maybe you would say, Ion, feel this when it comes to prayer. But we hope you will stay positive. You can all go, <laughs> I'm cracking myself up. Okay, you can all go home now, right? Because that was awful. Okay, great, great. This is why I will never do stand-up comedy. That was as close as I got. Okay, so last week we talked about chemistry classes. And we talked about how there are two parts to a chemistry class. You have your your coursework. You actually go to the class, you do all that terrible chemistry math, And you do all that book knowledge, you learn how to balance equations, you learn what the table of elements is, and you do all that sort of understanding stuff. But then there's usually another part of the chemistry class that is the lab, the lab work, and that's where you do the experiments. That's where you try things, that's where it gets hands-on, that's where it shifts from being a a kind of a mental intellectual experience to being more practical and hands-on. When you're in the class and you're doing chemistry stuff, you're doing the equations and the math, you usually know how it's, how it's going to work out. You're supposed to balance equations, and so you know that kind of what's on one side is kind of supposed to be the same thing that's on the other side. Now, if you're like me, it didn't usually work out that way, but that's what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to kind of know what to expect on that side. And, but in the labs, it's always a little more exciting because... In class, you might know exactly how it's supposed to go, but in the lab, you never never really know when something might go up in smoke, when something might explode, when something might fizz. It's just a little more experimental. So this series is called Prayer Lab, and we have been working on shifting from what we know intellectually about prayer to how our hearts experience prayer. A lot of us know generally how to pray, or at least how to do some basic prayers, but the desire of this study is to help us shift from prayer being just a mental exercise to being a heart experience. So last week, we talked about a couple ways to help do that. We said, he, we said the first five to ten minutes of your time alone with God often determines kind of how the rest of it goes. And it often determines, on, and if you're just going to kind of just do it all in your head and just think, okay, thank you, God, for this, and I confess that, and I'll pray about this, and amen, to if you're actually going to have a real-life connection with God. L- like Elizabeth shared in her testimony a few minutes ago, how her journaling helped her realize, oh, uh, actually, God's meeting me exactly with the stuff that I'm dealing with. He actually is practical. That's what we're getting at with this prayer lab. So today, we're again talking about this idea of shifting of a time alone with God from a mental exercise to a heart experience. But this time, we're talking about it from a different angle. We're talking about scripture, but we're talking specifically, excuse me, we're talking about prayer, but we're talking specifically about how scripture influences our prayers. Now, I think we, we typically talk about scripture and prayer as two separate elements on their own. But today I want to address what happens when scripture reading influences our prayer, and what happens when our prayers are influenced by scripture. What happens when we don't just think of them as separate things, but when they affect each other? So let's talk about this just a minute. It's possible for us to read our Bibles prayerlessly. To open up this book that has all these words in it, to learn, to study, to have it be an intellectual experience, to learn the history of the Bible, to to dig into the translation of the words. And, And there's certainly a place for study, but there's a difference when we read the Bible prayerlessly. The Bible without prayer is simply an intellectual exercise to gain knowledge. I know people who are not believers in Jesus who read the Bible. The Bible without prayer means that we're not being attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that anytime we're coming into God's word, the Holy Spirit is hovering right there, just wanting to connect with us. But reading the Bible prayerlessly, we're, we're shut off from that connection to the Holy Spirit, and there's not, an, there's not an inspired reading for us. So we can read the Bible without being prayerful. I think we also miss out when we pray without being biblically informed. I think we also miss out when we're trying to pray to God, but we don't have a robust knowledge of Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that God, if you don't know much about the Bible, it doesn't mean God's not going to hear your prayers. Not at all. I just think that we miss out on some things when we, when we continue over a period of time to have a lower level of knowledge about the scripture. When we pray without a strong biblical foundation, we are praying prayers that are more generic. Remember the generic prayers we talked about last week, where we went through our list of thank you God for this, thank you God for that, Lord I confess this, but it didn't really, it was boring, it didn't really go anywhere. And, and and I think when we pray without a scriptural foundation, we often pray prayers that are immature, that are that are not in alignment with God. There, there's things that we miss when we pray without a biblical foundation. We're more likely to pray prayers that are just driven by our whims, by our lusts, by our moods. But praying, having a robust foundation of scripture directs and forms and shapes how we pray. So we tend to think of prayer and scripture reading as two different things, but today I want to challenge us to do them both together and see what happens when we have prayerful scripture reading and, we, and when we have scripture-informed prayers. Are you with me? Okay, so... Let's say, I'm over here in my chemistry lab. So let's say, this right here, this is scripture. Solid, it's a solid thing, it's, this is scripture. This right here, what's this container called again, somebody? Beaker. This is a beaker? <laughs> a, nobody else knows either. Okay, yep, so this is prayer. This is prayer. Now together... We've got we've got two separate things. We've got scripture reading, we've got prayer. Both of these are good in and of themselves. This accomplishes good stuff on its own. This accomplishes good stuff on its own. They are two individual separate elements. But when prayer and scripture interact, good things happen. When these two separate elements are brought together, something bigger than just the two things on their own... I'm getting, getting a little nervous. A little much? There we go. It's Baptism Sunday. We're, you know, we're just all about the towels today. Thank you, thank you. Maybe just a little bit more. Uh, when prayer and Scripture interact together... Sometimes you get more than you bargained for. (laughs) Because there's something about the combination. There's something about the empowerment of these two things acting together that does more than just the two elements on their own. And so I want to challenge us today as we dig into prayer and seeking to grow deeper in prayer to examine the role that Scripture plays in us maturing in prayer. Now, there are a few ways. So some of you are saying, well, how does how do Scripture and prayer interact? Like, what exactly do you mean? There, there are a variety of ways that, that this happens. So I'll just, I'll just run through a few of these before we get into our main points for today. So Scripture tells us how to pray in lots of different ways. If you go to the Bible, you're going to find prayers, specific prayers scattered all through the Scriptures. We sang one today. We sang the Lord's Prayer, and then we said the Lord's Prayer together. That's a specific prayer in which Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, you want to know how to pray? This is what you do. Follow this prayer. And so we pray the Lord's Prayer as a church from time to time. Maybe you pray it from time to time. That's taking a prayer in the Bible and praying it. There are lots of those in the Bible. The Psalms is a a whole book of prayers. Uh, One of the types of prayers that well well, and we see lots of different types of prayers we see uh, worship and lamentation and we see prayers of exorcism and deliverance we see prayers of healing there are all different prayers throughout the bible and the bible shows us here specific ways to pray for different things i think we don't get into a lot of the different types of prayer i think a lot of times we kind of limit our prayers to thank you and god please help and then maybe once in a while we do confession but the bible is full of all sorts of types of prayers one type that, that I, you keep hearing me talk about because I think we all probably need it more than what we're doing is a prayer of lamentation. Lamentation helps us cope with the wounds and the hurts in our lives. Lamentation, is a, there are biblical prayers in the Bible that, that are examples of it. Here's one little snippet of, of lamentation. From Psalm chapter 13, verse 1, the psalmist is lamenting and he says, how long? Oh, Lord, have you ever asked God that question? How much longer? If you need a prayer of lament, you, you've got one right here. You can simply go to your Bible and you can pray, How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? See, see how the Bible can help you pray? I mean, this is one way you can do it. You take a prayer and you just, you, you pray it. The, the Bible also has prayers of worship, something that I think we, we could all stand to mature in a little bit. I love this one from Psalm 145, verse 1. It says, a psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. There are times when we need to just call that out because it is true and because God needs to be lifted up. So, so sometimes the scriptures have specific prayers in the Bible and we can go and we can find them. And we can pray those as prayers. That's one way that we can pray scripture. Another way that you can actually pray scripture is you can take verses in the Bible that aren't actually prayers and you can pray them. Does that make sense? So it doesn't actually have to be a prayer, but you could still pray it. So here's an example from Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12 is not a prayer. It's actually an epistle. It was a letter that was written to the people, to the Romans and uh, it's instructions about how to live. So it wasn't a prayer, but you can still take these instructions and can pray them. So say you are having your time alone with God, and you're in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, and you come across this verse. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And maybe as you're reading, you just kind of notice that patient and affliction phrase. And so what praying scripture might look like for you is to simply take that phrase and say, Lord, I am afflicted. Lord, this is my affliction. You know my affliction. Lord, I need need patience because all I want is to escape from my affliction. Lord, all I want is for it to go away it to stop, for it to not have to deal with it. But your scripture is telling me to be patient in it. And so, Lord Jesus, give me patience, give me grace to be strong in affliction. You can pray scripture that way. Some, there's something about having scripture dwell in you that shapes you, that's valuable for praying. Colossians 3.16 says, read this first phrase with me. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Stop there. Let's say that again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Now, the word of Christ can't dwell in you if you are not dwelling in the word of Christ. You can't have it, you can't have scripture in you if you're not spending time in scripture. And the more scripture gets into us, the more we are dwelling in it, the more it is informing how we pray and what we pray. Okay, so that's introductory stuff. Now I'd like to get into four ways that scripture helps us to pray. Because some of you are thinking, I prefer to keep my Bible reading and my prayer time separate. And and this is my my attempt to convince you to combine the two in a deeper way, perhaps, than you have before. So reading scripture is the foundation for all of the other spiritual practices. Reading scripture is the foundation for all the other spiritual practices. All the other spiritual disciplines are founded in God's word. So the scripture is going to guide how you fast. The scripture is going to guide how you do solitude and silence. The scripture is going to guide how you pray. All of the disciplines are rooted in the scripture, and the scripture is our baseline and our foundation for all of these things. So point number one, reading scripture helps us understand God's character. Reading scripture helps us understand who God is. Uh, When when you are reading the Bible, if if you're studying the Bible on your own, a great question to ask every day is, what does this passage teach me about the character of God? If you get nothing else from this message today, start doing that. What does this this passage teach me about the character of God? I I have four scripture passages here that I just want to use as examples of this point. The first one is from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now you read this passage. What does this passage tell you? Keep that up on the screen for just a minute if you don't mind. What does this passage tell you about the character of God? It tells me that God is with you in temptation. It tells me that God is faithful, that God is reliable, that God has enough strength to be there for you when you are wavering. It tells me that God sees you when you are struggling with temptation and he's standing there cheering for you saying you can do it. That's the character of God, a God who is for you. Here's another one, John 3:16. This was Brenda's favorite life verse that she just shared. For God so loved the world. Say it with me. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What what does this tell you about the character of God? Is this is this a vengeful God who's out to tell you all the things you've done wrong? Is this a God who is up there being disappointed in how you're living your life down here? I think this tells us that the character of God is one who loved the world, who so, so loved the world, so much that he gave. He gave his only son. That's a lot of extravagant love. The character of God is one of deeply sacrificial, extravagantly sacrificial love so that we could have eternal life, so that we can reap the benefits of his kingdom. That's the character of the God that we worship here. I get kind of excited about this. i got to keep moving. Matthew 4.23, this passage says, Jesus went throughout Galilee. Listen for what it's telling us about God's character. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. What does this tell us about his character? It tells me he's a God who, who notices the people who have diseases and sicknesses. He sees them. And it tells me this is the kind of God who wants something different for them. That he's the kind of God who is bringing his kingdom of wholeness and healing. That is the character of God. And the, the final example here, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. What does this tell you about the character of God? That he's a God who sees the nobodies that he's a god who has chosen the weak in the world. That's the kind of god I want to serve, the god who isn't just focused on the winners and the powerful people, but the god who sees the weak ones. That's the character of our god. So we read the scripture to understand god the just deeper nuances of god's character. And the result of better understanding god's character in prayer is that when we pray, we can pray with Hope in a God who has a good thing planned for us. We can pray with trust. Trust that even though we don't see how everything is working out, that God ultimately is a good God and he is a God of love and we can rely on him and depend on him. We can have faith in him because we see his character revealed in Scripture. And when we understand the character of God, we can pray with boldness because we know that our Jesus is the winner and that one day he will overcome everything that is wrong in this world because his character is one of sacrificial victory who has resurrected from the dead. So we pray with boldness because we are on the winning side with our King Jesus. Reading the scripture helps us understand God's character and transforms how we pray. Point number two, reading scripture helps us to pray God's will. Reading scripture helps us to pray God's will versus my will. I will admit, sometimes I go to God in prayer, and sometimes I will say, Lord, I'm I'm not quite sure if this is your will. I'm pretty sure this is my will. Can my will please be your will? And if not, help me to get there so I can accept your will. (laughs) The more we read scripture, the deeper understanding of God's will we gain. Sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But the more we understand who he is and how he works and what he's all about, the more effectively we can pray. Now, sometimes we are going to pray something that is totally not God's will. You're, you're going to pray for something immoral, but you're hoping it still, you know, like helps you anyway. And God's going to tell you no. Now, sometimes he might, in his permissive will, allow things to happen to you, because he's like, I'm going to give you what you asked for here. Sometimes he does that. But, but sometimes, often he's going to give a red light, saying, nope, I'm not, I'm not going to give you that. Sometimes we ask God for things that, according to Scripture, are in his will, like when you pray for healing, we, we know God's ultimate heart is healing, but we also know that in this world, even in Jesus' world, Jesus didn't heal everybody. What's up with that, God? And so sometimes God says, right now, no, we're waiting for the last days. Sometimes you ask God for something and God gives you a yellow light and he says, caution, not going to answer that one now. It might be yes, it might be no, but right now it's a yellow light. But reading scripture helps us understand what God is about and how to pray. Here's an example of not praying God's will from the Bible. There are lots of them. I, just, I happen to like this one. This is a story about the king of Moab named Balak. And he was mad at the people of Israel. I don't, I don't remember why, but he wanted, he wanted to go to war against them. But he decided that instead of just regular warfare, he was going to do spiritual warfare on them. So he got one of their prophets. He hired one of their prophets to come and pronounce curses on the people of Israel. This guy, the prophet's name was Balaam. And so Balak says, hey, Balaam, I want to hire you to come and pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. Call to your God and tell God to curse Israel. And Balaam says, I can't do that, King Balak that's not going to go over very well. And King Balak says, well, I'm the king, and this is what I'm telling you to do, so you have to. And Balaam says, well, I'm, I'm warning you, I really don't think it's going to go how you want. And Balak says, do it anyway. So Balaam's like, okay, but, the, but I have to tell you, I'm, I can only say the words that God gives me to say. And Balak says, okay, great, do it anyway. So Balaam goes out, and he stands over the encampment of the people of Israel, and he goes, and the king is coming and watches him do this. So he stands up in front of the people, and they can't hear him. This is just between the the two guys. They're, They're down in the valley. And Balaam goes to pronounce this curse, and what comes out of his mouth instead of the curse is a blessing. And the king says, wait, that is not what I told you to do. And Balaam said, I told you I have to say what God tells me. And the king says, do it again, and this time do it right. Do it again, and this time curse the people. So Balaam says, okay. Balaam, once again, goes to pronounce this curse, and out of his mouth comes a blessing. This happens three times. And the king is so angry, and he says, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but you have done nothing but bless them. This is what happens when you try to pray not according to God's will. <laughs> you get thwarted. <laughs> prayer that is powerful, prayer that is effective, is prayer that is in alignment with God's will. Will God answer prayers that aren't in his will? Sometimes. Sometimes he'll allow things that aren't his perfect will. But a more mature and a more enjoyable and a more powerful way to pray is to be able to pray according to God's will. 1 John 5.14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Isn't that good? James 4.3, read this one out loud with me. James 4.3, when you ask, you do not receive Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. When you ask, you have the wrong motives. Our motives, our intentions matter. They matter to God. John 15, 7 says, if Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you says, remain in me, know who I am, be close to me, let my words be in you. You need my words to be in you, and you need to be in me in order to have my words in you. We need to have this close connection because I want you to be praying according to my will. So the results of praying within God's will is that we will be more mature, more powerful, we'll have a deeper connection with God, and it shows us what we can be bold for. It shows us how to be humble before God and to remember that he is in charge and we are not. Reading scripture helps us to pray God's will. Number three, reading scripture helps us to pray grown-up prayers. Church, we need to graduate from now I lay me down to sleep. We also need to graduate from, dear God, thank you for this food. Amen. Should you be thankful for your food? Yes, please be thankful for your food. I'm just saying we need to go deeper. I'm just saying there's there's a lot more to this thing than just going through these rote comments to God. We need to pray in maturity. If I went about, if Adam and I, if our conversation every day was, was, um, I just said, Adam, I love you. Have a great day. And he says, I love you too. And then at the end of the day, it's, uh, how was your day? It was, it was, it was good. Yeah, thank, yeah, thanks for asking me about my day. How was your day? Good. Those things kind of matter. I mean, like, you, you, you should say I love you, and it's great to say it every day. But there's a whole lot more to be had in conversation, right? I mean, what if that were it? And some of us do exactly that with God, We say the same little phrases over and over. There is no depth or maturity, and some of us have been Christians for a long time, and it's time to take it up a notch. It is time for us to grow up. And reading scripture helps you pray more grown-up prayers. Because scripture is complicated and nuanced, and it's real life, and it's real people. And you read about these people who have messy, messy lives. And it helps you realize, I have a messy life too. Now I can pray pray these messy prayers over my messy life and God's going to help me and redeem in such a beautiful way and probably a messy way that it's going to be good. Reading scripture helps us to pray more grown-up prayers. It helps us mature. It deepens us. Scripture helps mature us emotionally as we live into the story of King David. We don't like talking about his later years when he was king and his sons try to take over his throne and he's like this really weak king and this weak father. It's messy. I don't like that part of David's story. When when we live into the, the passage of Jesus in Gethsemane, when Jesus, our Savior, is on the ground weeping, brokenness, when we live with the sorrow of the widow of Nain whose child has just died, These things, they shape us and they help us to pray in real ways and in deep ways in ways that connect with our our lives so that we're praying out of our hearts and not just out of our heads. Reading scripture helps us pray more grown-up prayers. Number four. Reading scripture helps us learn to recognize God's voice. As you mature in your faith, you have the ability to more regularly recognize the voice of God speaking to you through your day, prompting you to do a certain thing, leading you to a certain passage of scripture, challenging you to go and do a good deed that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise, prompting you to, to reach out to somebody that you haven't talked to for a while and say, you know, you've just been on my mind. I kind of wonder if something going on there. As you mature in your faith, you learn to identify more regularly the voice of God in your life. And if you don't cultivate that, but you try to if you try to get that without Scripture, you're going to come up with all kinds of wacky stuff on your own. Scripture helps us to discern what is God's voice, what is your voice, what's just voices. <laughs> and reading Scripture helps us learn to recognize God's voice. The primary way the primary way to know if it's your voice or God's voice or just the voices floating around is by being in the word every day. Because God's word is God's voice. Those are his, his words. And as we understand it, you'll be surprised at how frequently scripture is part of the way that you hear the voice of God speaking to you. In John 10, Jesus says, My sheep, listen, listen my voice i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life and they shall never perish no one can snatch them out of my hand the sheep know the voice of the shepherd they know which shepherd is theirs sheep aren't that smart but they know which shepherd is theirs and they know which shepherds aren't and the sheep know the voice of the shepherd jesus is my sheep listen they know my voice One final passage of Scripture to close today. It's a common one that whenever you, you have a message about the Bible or about Scripture, often this one comes up. But I'd like to look at it from a little bit of a different angle. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. Would you read this one out loud with me, please? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, typically, we would talk about this passage in terms of the bi- how the Bible's used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training emotions. That, that's great. That's all true, and that's, that's good. But what I'd like us to look at is that first part of that phrase. If we could t- take a look at that. That very first phrase that says, All Scripture is God breathed. It is his voice. These are his words. He has, we call it, this. let's open up God's word together. This is the way to know who he is, what he's saying, how he functions, what his character is. Reading scripture helps us to know God's voice. So church, here's the challenge. We're doing prayer lab. We're doing experiments. It's hard to grow. It's hard to change. And yet I think change is what we all really want deep down. So we practice. Let's go into the lab this week. Let's go into the lab, mess around, try a few experiments, pray some different ways, try some new things, get into the Word. Overall, what I want you to do this week is get into the Word. If reading Scripture is not a daily part of your life, let's take it up a notch. If reading Scripture is a daily part of your life, how is the Lord leading you to engage more intentionally with it? A 2021 statistic about scripture reading says 30% of Christians, 30% of people who say they are Christians, never read the Bible. And another 20% read their Bibles once or twice a year. That is 50% of Christians today basically don't read the Bible. We need to grow. We need to grow up. We need to grow deeper. The Bible is full of the goodness of God. And God is calling out for people to join his mission. He's calling us to transform us, and he wants us to go deeper for our own sakes and for his sake. So let's pray. Let's pray. Let's get in the word. Let's pray according to God's will. Let's pray with a deep, robust love and understanding of who God is And let's enjoy him and trust him in these new ways. So let's enter the prayer lab again this week. As you leave today, you'll be receiving another lab packet.